Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing experts in emerging areas of PR. We'll be taking those hot topics in public relations, dispelling any myths, breaking down the jargon, so you are completely clued up and ready to speak to your stakeholders by the time you reach the office. If you have any questions around the episode, please feel free to tweet me at Stella Bales. Hello, I am back already. So from the conversation that I had on the podcast with Wads last week, where we explored public feeling, it led on to some really interesting conversations. And now we're going to be doing a bit of a mini series on the podcast, looking at the importance of public feeling, how to gauge public feeling and feed that back into our communications. Today's episode has really opened my eyes to how important it is. I'm interviewing Amanda Coleman. She is a crisis communications consultant with 20 years experience working in emergency services communications. As part of that, she was the former head of corporate comms for Greater Manchester Police. As you can imagine, that involved her leading the comms and being involved in some really significant crisis including the Manchester Arena terrorist attack in 2017. And she led the communications during the riots in 2011 as well. It's through the research that I've been doing that I just couldn't wait to speak to Amanda because her experience is all about understanding public feeling and then forming the right communications off the back of that. So something that we can all learn from. In our conversation, we look at why looking at risks and predicting situations is the best preparation you can do in a crisis. Also, how to spot emerging crisis situations. How to understand how your comms are landing with the public, especially during crisis, and then to lead the strategy to pull you out of that into recovery. We explored who's responsible for these kind of communications too. And also, if you're not in a crisis comms team, but feel like, especially with what's going on in the world right now, this is something that you need to learn more about or move into. We look at what's best to read and how is best to start. It's a fascinating half an hour. Here is Matt. Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. Today, I am joined by Amanda Coleman. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for joining me. Hello. It's good to be here. You are a crisis communications consultant, and I know that you have helped so many different organisations and people in times of crisis, so whether that's sort of preparing or during and after, but they're often isolated events. I've read some of your book and I know that after a lot of the time you're working on these situations, they're quite isolated. Are we in a never-ending crisis right now? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, it's, um, it's a difficult one because cri- crises come in many shapes and forms. Uh, what we're experiencing at the minute is very unusual because what you've got is a long-term crisis. So uh, there's been a bit of discussion. I was in the discussion on social media the other day with somebody who said, you know, is this just not a state of being now, being in this COVID pandemic situation? And actually, no, it, it is, but it's still a crisis. Um, and we're still dealing with lots of people who are affected and we're still looking at actions that we need to take to try and uh, make a difference to what's going on. So, yeah, it is a long-term crisis. That said, you can have lots of other things happen at the same time. So there's been lots of other crises that have happened around the world, cyber attacks, um, you know, floods. It, it still goes on, even though you've got this 
underlying state of crisis that the world's facing. So it's, it is an unusual set of circumstances that we've got at the minute. I was talking to Stephen Waddington just last week for on the podcast and we were talking about public feeling for a couple of different reasons but he had published some research on his blog around why we're feeling so shit at the moment and um and he would spoke to some um crisis consultants who had used a crisis planning model to almost like predict well to understand why we all feel the way we do right now and maybe predict how we might be feeling in the future yeah no I spoke to Stephen about that when he because he, he spoke to me before he wrote the the piece and I'm no academic and and I say this having written a book that is not academic it's practical um, there are lots of really good crisis communication academics and books that exist around it so I come from a practical basis I suppose is what I'm saying um, but yeah I, I, you can see it's it's almost like a change curve really in that you have to go through the phases of the crisis to get through the other side to the recovery to then so you can start to see how it will impact on people and at the end of the day my my whole focus and what made me passionate enough to want to write a book is it's about the people so it, it does matter how people are feeling what is the impact on people how are the actions that you're going to take as an organization going to um, have consequences for people and you've got to work that through because Mm -hmm. it's only by working all that through that you can minimize uh, the impact that you can support people better and you know ultimately that's where we're going to need to be going forward because a, a crisis happens but then there's so many other elements to it so if you think of covid now you've got mental health things to start with you've got the economic crisis you've also got the health issues and you know you can factor in a lot of different elements so that you have to try and manage that complexity i think that's the challenge that's a challenge that businesses and organizations face but ultimately for me it's it's what you have to do because if we're going to help people in the same way you'd help them with any kind of change communication we've got to be able to do that and map that through so I think it's probably because my personal experience of crisis being linked to brand reputation in my um, you know old days of agency consumer PR, a lot of the crisis scenarios that I was involved in on a very light touch basis, by the way, um, was much more about sort of reputation recovery and about the brand and um, not so much focused on public feeling um, and that might have just been those examples but it was why I was fascinated to speak to you Amanda because I know that you have worked a lot with the police and and other scenarios with the public where that must be just so important to be looking at that insight is there any examples where you can sort of share a moment that a crisis has happened and how the public feeling is involved in that you're so right in terms of the starting point is really what makes a crisis and what is a crisis. And I think often when we're dealing with reputational issues or when we've just got um, an incident happen, it's probably, it may be critical, it may be quite serious. It's not necessarily going to be a crisis because that really is your top end of um, things you're dealing with. That said, you know, a lot of the way you deal with it can be very similar. But for me, yeah, if you look at public feeling, it really should matter to brands. Public feeling really is important. If you think back to, you know, Pepsi with the the ad um, from, I think it was 2017, when you look, and, and even recently with um, Joe Malone and the perfume, uh, you know, the issues that happened there, 
you can see public feeling really does matter and reputation really can't take over when you're dealing with that response. For me, I actually say I would never put reputation management into a crisis communication response plan um, of any of any form because it skews your decision making and it makes you look in the wrong way at what's happening. And mm. I, I kind of, from my experience, 20, 20 plus years I was working, I've worked, I worked in the police before I obviously um, left to, to set up the consultancy and Really, the the key point, I suppose, the turning point for me um, in really seeing the importance of people and and the kind of public view of of something was dealing with the Manchester Arena attack. And back here, that was May um, 2017, and it really transformed, I suppose, my my thinking because what mattered in the response with the families, you know, the affected of the people that died was the people who've been affected. And there were many thousands of people in some way, physically or psychologically affected. And how, you know, the, the response in terms of what was said, in terms of the words that were used, in terms of actually what we did was so important because it mattered as to how people felt about it. And then you've got the whole of Manchester that was affected and, you know, the impact it had on the UK as, as a whole. So, you really have to look from the outside in if something happens um, and look at how people are viewing what's happened. It's, I think it's so critical. Um, and for me, you know, we had lots of plans, processes, policies, all really good, you know, all focused on um, trying to deal with the terrorist attack and, and, that, and that sort of thing. But they all fundamentally never thought of people. So they were yeah. never focused around, you know, how do we get messages to, to victims' families? How do we find support so that we can get their information, you know, out to the media and that we can help them with, you know, dealing with, with the, the circumstances and their media interest? And, you know, there's all those sorts of things we just never thought about. And it just wasn't, it never factored into the thinking. That for me is what I keep talking about now is make sure that that is the centre of your thinking around how you're going to respond. Wow. I mean, I can't imagine um, working on something like that. That's uh, must have been quite an emotional time. But you, like you say you worked with the police for 20, doing police communications for 20 years, did you say? There must have been a lot of... Yeah, just over. <laughs> wow. High-stress high scenarios. <laughs> Um, Do you know, you you just don't you don't realise it. You you live it for so long, yeah. and it's only when you step out of it. It's like a lot of people, isn't it? You don't see what you're dealing with, and people used to say that to me. And I was like, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> and actually, it was only when I got stepped out of it, I was thinking, yeah, I, I, it it was probably twenty years of quite high stress situations. <laughs> yeah, just running on adrenaline, I imagine, for a lot of that. Going on to the Manchester bombing, that that moment that happened. And yeah, again, I can't imagine uh, working on something like that and having to sort of share that kind of news with families and thinking about the communications. But I guess practicalities, because I know that your book is really practical, uh, which I love, and I know the listeners love this as well. And um, what, how were you gaining uh, information and insights from, I guess, the immediate? Is there layers of public insight, I guess, that you needed to get? Was it like the people immediately affected and then Manchester and then the rest of the UK? Like, how did you organise and gain that kind of insight? There is a quite a, a well 
practiced plan for crisis within a, the policing environment and crisis comms. So you've got a plan that you know really well, which is a really important starting point because that gives you lots of support. It gives you lots of things that you don't have to really think through because it's second nature and you're so used to doing it. There's a bit of you click into this is what I need to do, these things. And you've been practiced it so much and you've been through it so much that it, it, it's quite e- you know easy to do on one level. But I always I liken it to try and think of a crisis as a pebble in a pond. And where the pebble goes in, that's your point of the biggest impact. So what you need to map really is who are those people at the centre that you really need to focus huge amounts of attention on. You know, they need lots of information. And then you work on, you know, less, it kind of gets lesser as you move away from that central point. And it's and it's important to try and map that through so you can focus what your effort in the right place. Um, also, I mean, the starting point of anything like this, why it might people might think it, it yes, it is high stress, yes, it is very emotional, but actually a lot of the communication elements are pretty simple key bits are trying to get messages out really quickly and to te- you know preserve and protect life it's not complicated it gets more complicated as you move forward mm. um and as you move into you know to the first hour or two relatively straightforward on one level yes it's frantic and you're trying to get information and there's lots of stuff going on but in terms of the communication activity it's pretty straightforward you know get the messages out keep people away tell people what they need to do mm. and and that's the easy bit 24 hours in is when you're getting more complex because, you know, certainly with the arena, you've you had so many elements. You had a community impact, you had um, hate crime, tensions, you've got a large part of the city you couldn't get to, transport problems, you know, and you factor all these things in, that's when it gets way more complex. How are you gaining that information? Does the police or, or other organisations in other examples that you've worked with, do, do you work with insight teams that are sort of tracking all of this like how how are you getting the information to then decide what communication to put out I know that there will be a certain extent of just operational but I guess like 24 hours in like do you then get sort of direct questions in is that coming through social media how are you feeding the the direction of your your communications at that point yeah I mean the the operational bits fairly straightforward you know, you might work on a gold, silver and bronze. The gold commander is the one that ultimately takes responsibility for everything that happens, you know, and then there are, are different levels of, of activity. So that structure always really helps. And I know since COVID hit, a lot of uh, my, my former colleagues within policing who are now doing other roles and have left policing and retired, uh, they they explaining that sort of structure to businesses because it's a really good structure to use in a crisis because you know exactly who's doing what and you can manage it so that really helps with the comms as well because you know who's in who's in charge you know at what level things are being done where the decisions are being made and what you need to do so that bit's pretty straightforward the insight bit is is difficult you know the sheer amount of information the sheer amount of sentiment and views that were put on social media is just immense Mm. so you do the best you can you know and being in a public sector role you haven't got a lot of money to do a lot of things so it was very much gathering the insight through social media social media analytics as much as we could and feedback you know feedback through the media or feedback directly through officers who were on the ground who were picking things up picking information up you feed all that back into the center of the comms hub almost um 
and then look at what you might need to do where you might need to adjust things yeah but it's a it's a really movable situation as you go through You've mentioned the that you were able to just sort of switch on some of the processes that you've practiced many, many times. And I know in your book, Crisis Com Strategies, it outlines like the value of planning and testing that planning. Does that tend to be the same kind of process that many organizations can follow? Or is that really bespoke to the area that you work in? No, I think anybody, yeah, anybody can do it. Anybody, sh- and they should really, really should be doing it. I know I sound like I, I'm, <laughs> I go a bit over the top on it, but it's the planning and the preparation that make your life a bit easier. And I know, and and they also they manages then the stress levels and the you know gives you extra resilience. At the start of of March, I'm sure lots of people had crisis comms plans, business continuity plans, and all these other things. Did they know what was in them? Probably not in lots of cases. Did they know where the problems were that perhaps, you know, there were gaps in those business continuity plans that hadn't been updated for a year mm-hmm. and, and all these things. The reason you have all these things ready to go and that you've tested them and that you know where the gaps are is that when you have to use them and you're under that intense pressure, it takes some of that pressure away. You know, it makes life a bit easier. It gives you some breathing space. And that's for me why I'm so passionate that even now, you know, well, particularly now, six months in-ish from the start of COVID, if you've done debriefs um, and looked at what's happened, what worked well, what didn't work, you can update your plan, you know, and you want to be testing that plan, you know, stress test that plan again. Where are the gaps? Uh, you don't want to be finding the gaps when something happens because you know that's that makes it really really tough I guess at that point as well um that's a time when you can check into public feeling again isn't it once you've actually you you do those check-ins and you you, things have settled you've gone through the first few months then you'll come together and say what worked what didn't work okay what what was the feedback that we might have got from acting in this way or this set of comms and then adjust I guess yeah there are loads of points really in in the kind of span of a of a crisis there are lots of kind of points during it that you want to be checking on data insight analysis sentiment you've, you know, like we say you know 24 hours in um you've got the point at which you may be moving from a crisis towards recovery uh you've got different you know so there are lots of different points you can factor in and the key is to make sure that you're keeping checking back it's so easy when you're under pressure to just get your head down and focus on what you need to deliver and what you need to do but like i say it's about looking at it from from the people who are affected, from the impact that it's having on them, from where they are and things. And I'll give you an example, because when we were at the point of really the operational bits of the crisis around the, the arena were moving towards recovery, there was a question of, do we say this publicly? But it was way too soon because people were still really coming trying to come to terms with what had happened and the public mood and sentiment was not at a point where you could say right you know we're we're heading towards recovery so you need to play that back in and go you know we we can't do that so you can only do those sorts of decisions and you can only question or push back sometimes from a comms perspective to people in authority if you've got that data and analysis and if you've got that support that you can do it because you've understood it and you you've keeping on top of what people's views are around things so there are lots of real practical reasons why you want to do it it's not just a nice thing to do is it you know it's really critical to your decision making in the planning stage when you've talked about um like testing does that mean that you would ever carry out sort of simulation 
or like role plays of what might happen in crisis does that help yeah absolutely it's great um <laughs> because because part of it is you need to have a bit of fun with it you know I know this is really heavy subjects and it's like intense pressure but you can actually liven it so I did one recently where it was literally just a here's a scenario and I'm just going to throw a development into you as a team and what would you do and what would you do and you just build up layers of complexity layers of you know issues and it tests their decision making and it tests their knowledge of the plan and it tests you know kind of how they're going to respond and it's great because then they go ah yeah well those are, we're comfortable with all these bits but here's where the problem is so that so you can do something really as simple as that um through to tabletop exercises where you perhaps put a little bit more into it and spend more time going through stuff and then you get to the point where you, you go much bigger and you potentially do a full role play type scenario so there's lots of different levels you can do it but that's why I say find what works for you in terms of your organization if you've not got the capacity to go to the to the big nth degree of you know a massive kind of exercise you can still do that sort of scenario planning scenario testing yeah when you said that you can bring the fun to it it's like the ultimate escape room isn't it (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing yeah try and look if people can relax a little bit because if you can relax when you're doing the testing and planning and you can see it not as a well I'm trying to find fault in me or the plan or how my team works, whatever. It's not about that. It's about building better and finding those problems and making sure that you can overcome them in that safe environment so that, you know, when you do get to that point of, you know, something bad happens, something difficult, the organization's under pressure and you, everybody's looking to you and going, comms, tell me what we need to do. You're already there, you know, your head's already in that sort of space um, and that makes it a lot easier. But yeah, try and find some ways of, of livening it. I always like to throw a little curveball into the scenario that brings a little bit of lighter mood. <laughs> I quite fancy that now. When you were first talking about it, I was like, oh no, I'm not sure I've done this. <laughs> Actually, escape from, yeah, I like this. Um, have you ever gone through that process and actually almost predicted a scenario that's happened oh yeah uh, quite a few times I mean there's there was a, a huge police exercise police and emergency service exercise um, about a terrorist attack that happened a year eight months before the arena all crises are predictable a, a friend of mine always says all crises apart from aliens landing and that's at this moment in time so you actually to be fair all all crises are predictable what you need to do, and, and again, people don't like doing it because it gets, a, you know, I suppose it, it's not seen to be a sexy thing to do, um, is to look at your risk uh, mismanagement processes, you know, how you're identifying risks. And if you've got that in place, then you know what your top risks are. You know what the business's top risks are. You can do it for communications. What's the communications top risks? And you can scenario plan that. So you can actually start to look at that. You know, for, for example, Every single business and organization should have cyber attack somewhere in your top crisis risk situations. So you can plan for that already. You know, there's there's no reason you can't. It's the time factor, I think, at the minute as well. You know, the time and resources that mean people don't do what perhaps they could easily do. But yeah, all, all crises are ultimately predictable. This podcast is brought to you by Coverage Book, the reporting tool that's made by PR people for PR people. Head to coveragebook.com for your free trial. So you've talked about that level of preparation of simulation and and what we do if this happens. But what about sort of just tracking emerging 
problems is 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 that part of a process as well because I know that the reason why I'm asking is because we I think I used this example actually when um, I spoke to Wads the other day but for the tool answer the public we had uh, quite a few brands that we um so that looks at different uh, search data and uh, we just we were testing different things with the tool and we had some a few brands that we were putting in there just um, looking at the ways that people were searching for the brands and we noticed that um, there'd been an increase of people searching for H&M and and child labor and um, we're like oh what's I wonder what that's about so obviously searched for it and saw that actually it was they were involved in an article that was talking about child labor but they were using an example of a brand's clothing brand that doesn't do that Um, but we saw an increase in searches and I was just like right that feels like that would be quite a good way to like spot something happening are there things like that that you recommend that so you can be aware of something emerging and how else do you do it? Totally. That's the risk management. That's the that, that's effectively what it is. So, you know, what what are my top risks? You've got some that are standard because they're about the what the business does, how it operates. Um, so if you factor that, you know, the environment, if you factor all those things then, but then you've also got the for me, this is comms's benefit. How do you spot those reputational issues? And sometimes those operational issues that are likely to hit. And it's because comms teams are always in the know aren't they they always know what's going on or they should do and if they do then they will spot these potential issues before they actually become them so Mm. one of the things I've always had is like a potential critical incidents list so it's the things that aren't on your risks because they're not actually there yet but you know that they're lurking you sound um, like such a calm person considering you have lists <laughs> in existence like that. <laughs> the things that used to be on it, because then you'd be going, what you, why was that not on your risk list? But it's, it's, but it's the nature of the business you're in, you know. Yeah. If you're working with high risk stuff, then you have you almost have a list of risk stuff that's not really even classed as risk. Um, but yeah, so you'd have, a, you'd have something where you're tracking some of these things. If you're a brand like H&M or whoever, because of the things that have happened with Boohoo and others, you'd have that somewhere in your lurking potential issues. Not because you're necessarily going to be, you know, you've got anything, there's a problem in there, but because of the nature of what's happening with others, it can bring you in, you know, so you've got to look quite broadly at some of these things, but it's easy to teach people that. It's just giving the mindset, giving them a slightly different mindset. It's a mindset that kind of, after 20 years it was just second nature because you were always looking for the problems for the issues for the thing you know it's, it's that sort of thing but you can teach people how to build that into their working day they don't want to be focused on it all day every day it's not going to take up all their life but it's building some of those frameworks and processes and things in so that they can start to get more comfortable to do that but for me the absolute you know benefit of communications uh, teams is they should have that data you know things like that I would have loved to have that sort of uh, system like you're talking about you know where you could see what people are asking Mm. hugely beneficial there's a lot you can do with that sort of information we have a lot of tech available now it's just using it in the best way for all of our different reasons you know but 
being spotting those kind of questions and then knowing how to change the searches to bring back different questions you can really spot how feeling might be changing day to day as well um which is quite interesting something to explore so you've talked about uh pr people being in touch with what's going on and i i agreed i nodded my head when you said that because i just know that when i was in that role we had to know about everything that's going on whether it's competitors or just what's going on in the news and you know having social monitoring switched on etc etc does crisis management and crisis communications is that a pr responsibility is it somewhere else what's your should it be a pr responsibility it's it's always fascinated me where it sits i suppose it depends on your business and organization if you're in a team of three people it's part of your responsibility because you're probably doing like everything. If you're working in a really big team and again, you know, it's a high risk environment, then you might have a small team or two that just do crisis planning, build the stuff, make sure people are trained. You know, you might actually have that function and capacity within a team. It, It depends on the factors, but does in terms of that crisis communication response really has to sit with that the kind of PR comms team because they're the ones that have all that information they're the ones that understand um, the sentiment analysis and they're the ones that know where the best you know how to get messages to particular groups particular people and that's all the critical things you need right in the in the middle of things you talked about um reviewing having checkpoints whether that was sort of mid-crisis but at the same when you feel I mean when does it when does a crisis end when do you sort of draw a line and say this is over now this is where I go in the book I do that sometimes now in the book no I say there are seven questions that you can ask and how you answer them will tell you where you are in in terms of are you ready for the crisis to you know to move to re- to recovery mode right. what stage is it at what stage is the response at to start with really um are people still coming forward to say they're affected now that's a really critical one because if people are still saying i'm suffering because of this incident then you can't start saying we're in recovery because the the public mood will twist and change and you've any support you've got for the response you've done will go completely so um, some of the crisis that you were working on with the police in that 20 years then would have been ongoing for a really long time then because mm. people would have been affected well forever yeah. wouldn't they yeah yeah wow. it's still it's the level of the level of it but yeah you, i mean this is why you can have crises that last for ages um, for years it, it is one of those things I think we've just not been used to it because of a lot of the things that people have experienced in the past but you've got things like you know is it is it under control or is it growing so you know if we see with COVID you know if you've got things that are growing if you've got the, the cases appearing again then you know we're near recovery and this is the the roller coaster potentially of some crises where it might seem to be going away and then it comes back again is the business returning to usual operational activity so you need to understand that the level of staff that are involved in the response to the crisis and are you you know whether the business is moving to think forward think future rather than dealing with the present issues but fundamental to all this is the public mood so what's the public mood towards what's happened and is that in recovery you know, is that moving towards that phase? And if it's not, because of the sheer scale of it, you think back to 9-11, it was just so vast. It was ages before people could really move forward. And that's the key. So you've got to look at all those questions together 
to gauge where you are with it and to try and help people because I, I got a bit frustrated um, in the early stages of COVID because people were talking about recovery mm. and I'm like, you're nowhere near recovery. Yes. So I actually put together a, a recovery a recovery communication readiness assessment where I got people to kind of go, right, here you go, answer some of these questions. Are you there yet? No, you're not. We're kind yeah. of, you know, almost mid-crisis. You, you, you're not at recovery yet. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, you can gauge it, lots of those questions. And being the uh, public that we're talking about, with like, being able to assess public feeling with a crisis, being the public with the COVID situation, when people started to talk about, or in the media would talk about, you know, we're, we're, we're in this stage and we're talking about, when they were talking about that, the end of it, it's not helpful for the public, is it? You know, because we would all be focused on that. And then it's just massive disappointment. Well, disappointment is an understatement, I suppose. You know, rather than changing the communication to this is how we're living with it. And then it helps people deal with it, doesn't it? If you've got another day, I'll give you my view of uh, COVID communication. <laughs> but, but fundamentally, for me, the principles of crisis communication one of the key ones honesty so you have got to be honest with people and sometimes that's challenging for organizations that want to go we're moving forward we're moving forward we're moving forward you can't you know you've got to be honest and people will they might not like it sometimes but they will understand if you explain the why if you explain the situation but don't and and yes you want to give people hope because that's what everybody wants you know hope that there will be uh, time past this um, and banned anybody saying new normal because it's the most ridiculous phrase but you know there will be a time in the future but it's got to be rooted in that honesty so yeah. don't say yeah I think we're going to be done by Christmas unless you know it you know yeah. if you know the facts show that we'll be done by Christmas brilliant say it but if mm. you don't have that data if you don't have that understanding if you haven't got that level of clarity on it don't say it I mean as soon as there's mistrust then surely there's no recovery is there um I think this there is still there are ways you can come back from that but mm. it is fundamental you've got to you know you could yeah you've got a level of mistrust people are not under, are trusting what you're saying but it's like you need a lot of concerted effort and a total t- turnaround. So you've got to put your hands up. We got this wrong. This wasn't as it should have been. We're going to sort this out now. You can do all those things, but it's a brave organisation that's got a senior person at the top who's prepared to do it. Mm. It ha- has happened. It does happen. But, you know, th- that's that's a big situation to kind of deal with, face and, you know, take that step forward. Mm. We've been talking about some pretty big examples um, in the coming call so far but would you say that it's a similar process even if it was a smaller scale crisis for an organization oh yeah totally totally because the key bit is you know is having a focus on what who's affected a focus on the people trying to manage the impact of what's happened you know all these things are, are absolutely transferable to even you know to, to even a sort of a serious situation that you face um, because if you take yourself through those checks then you're going to be producing a much better response. You're going to be, you know, developing something that's that's going to put you into a much more effective position, definitely. So, yeah, I, I know I'm kind of talking, I suppose, the kind of 
one end of the spectrum of, of things but I've done the same things for lots of problems with online trolls or it doesn't matter what it is really you can you can use the same sort of uh, situation the same approach. On to the practicalities again you mentioned about sort of once things you once you go into recovery um, you can only do that once public feeling has changed what have been some of the tools or um, processes that you've used to try and gauge that has it been people who have been directly associated to the problem itself or has it been through sort of media how do you assess the public feeling yeah you have to take all those things together and again if I go back to that pebble in the pond kind of picture that you you have to look at the center first now if somebody's lost a loved one they are going to take a long time to get to feel anywhere like they're moving forward so you know you've got to bear some of that in mind but also you need to be able to potentially explain to them that your communication is going to stop focusing on what's happened and going to start to talk about other things so it's at that level of dialogue and it's a difficult one because we've not been used to communicators getting involved with people who are directly affected with something and it's not something we're generally trained to deal with. So for me, that's something we do need to make sure we're training people to be able to, to do that because that's the way you can keep a, you know, a good level of conversation with people who have been affected by a crisis, particularly if the crisis has been caused by your business or organisation. You know, you've got to find a way to deal with that because if you treat them badly, you know, if you forget them, if you don't include them and make sure that they understand what's going to happen before you say it publicly, then you're going to get judged on that. People will judge how businesses respond. If you think back to, you know, Weatherspoons at the start of COVID, you get judged about how you deal with people. So, yeah, you, you look at them and then you also look at uh, all that other data that you were talking about. Um, you have to take it in the round because, uh, you, you know, that's the best way of, of gathering um, mood and, and sentiment and tone. And uh, that comes from lots of different methods, really. I did a webinar right at the beginning of uh, when sort of COVID hit and we went into lockdown and it was about pivoting on the PR strategy and difficulties selling in when there was like a, when you had more of your normal campaign that was still that was running and then this happened and then it had to change in this part of that webinar there was a lot of people that I was in touch with who were very much in the consumer teams that I was used to be a part of you know when I was in PR agencies so it'd be very much in the marketing communications consumer communications department and just down the way of my of my large agency that I used to work in was the crisis team and they were very much had a different client um, even though it might have been the same brand a different client and we're working on very different things it feels like now you know back then you know many many years ago we had quite separate work and we could keep our campaign separate we'd be aware if there was a crisis but we would continue it feels like what we're going through right now that everyone needs to be aware of these processes and aware of how to deal with a different style of communications now. And I know that some of the feedback that I'm getting from people in PR right now is that they're tracking, they're trying to track trust and reputation more than ever uh, before. For people who haven't worked in, or in PR, but haven't worked in crisis comms before, where should they start? 
This is, is this for me to go, please get my book? No, um, <laughs> I mean, it can be. <laughs> oh, no. I, yeah, yeah. There, are, there are some really good books out there, to be fair. Um, and, and I'm not talking to them about mine. But there are, there, there are some useful yours. ways. It is a great that. book. I just mentioned never... <laughs> Crisis um, Con yeah, Strategies is a great book. We should definitely Yes, Kogan that. Page, available on Amazon. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I tell you doing that. But seriously, there are uh, lots of resources out there um, that can help you. Speak to people you know I've done I do lots of talks on different things just to try and give people a flavor of what to do and you're right it's it's making it's building your skill base um so that you are comfortable with this and it's something that's really really important going forward now because fundamentally whatever happens with where we are and no none of us know some of these things we've got to get comfortable with crisis we've got to get comfortable with risk management and that means we've got to start building these things into how we normally work and like I've said you know it's not that you're going to be thinking about crisis all day every day but you need to be knowing how to do it as part of your daily business you know what are our potential critical incidents this week what does it look like was it the same last week okay that might be all you need to do but it's having that built into how you work mm-hmm. and if you're not used to that it it's something you you know just need to build a plan to get that comfortable with with your work environment so yeah there's there's lots of resources out there um to to help with some of that but the first thing is work out whether you've got those skills if you've got that level of understanding and if not then work out you know where where to go to get some I've started reading your book and it's um what I love about it it is so practical I've literally got to do's already and um my team don't know this but I'm going to start writing a risk list and and getting our next team day out will be a simulation (laughs) and uh because it's it's important but I think it can be fun like you said as well yeah definitely and I think you know do we even doing the risk list it might be the some an odd person which is possible. But, you know, thinking through all the things that might happen, um, it's, it can be quite interesting. <laughs> you can quite enjoyable. All are all the problems that we might face. But then you, you get sensible and rank them, you know, which are the ones that are most likely, which are the ones that are going to have the most impact. But yeah, you can, you can build some of this, like you say, into team building days, team days, team away days, whatever, um, and make it a something a bit different and something that'll get people perhaps thinking in a different way absolutely fascinating thank you so much for your time today amanda we've learned i've learned so much and i'm sure listeners have as well carrying on with your book for the rest of the day (laughs) thanks very much thank you this is the pr resolution podcast keep in touch by following me on twitter at stella bales for more reading on pr head to blog.coveragebook.com don't forget to tune in to the next episode and make sure you subscribe to the series on iTunes now. See you there.